Welcome to the Nine Brawl Podcast, where we tackle daily life challenges and apply God's word to illuminate and preserve his truth while leading others to salvation through Christ Jesus. Let's join your hosts. Welcome to the Nine Brawl Podcast with Jeff Anthony and Sean Campbell. Hey, hey, man. Yeah. It's the last episode of season two. Two. Yeah. It's come up. Come upon the end here, and uh, I'm looking forward to a nice break. Yeah. <laughs> so, not that we haven't had any in between. It's just the uh, scheduling and life just happening. We know that yeah. the holidays are coming up, and um, get ready for that. Which holidays? Um, following Jesus is coming up. Uh, uh, yeah. Friendsgiving. Yeah. And, and then, of course, uh, the celebration of the birth of our King and Savior. Yeah. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Sadnalia, right? <laughs> What's that? I don't remember that. <laughs> we didn't get to that. Maybe we could do a, you know, a historical review of, you know, what actually happened in mid to late December. And it wasn't Roman holidays, by the way. But we should, because honestly, I, I have no clue what that is. Sadnalia? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a lot. That's the thing that people say, you know, the, the, Romans said, hey, you know, well, this pagan ceremony is happening in December and we're just going to smack Jesus mm. on top of it. And mm. the, the truth is that that usually occurred between October and and early November and that it wasn't ever a set date. But, yeah, oh, OK, we can come back to that at Christmas. Yeah. And <clears throat> that's aside from the whole tree thing. Is that or. Well, I mean, that's there, too. The. Um, I there's all kinds of different different things related to the historical background behind what we do um, and why we do it when we are and the different symbols and things like that. And um, Yeah, we could do a, a Christmas history tour um, if we want to do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, we'll probably have about a two a two week break here from doing the podcast and then uh, <clears throat> sorry. And then we'll come back and. Uh, jump into how to be a contagious christian for for um in between seasons that's what we'll call it we'll call them specials but yeah <laughs> as soon as we're done with that one maybe we should do that uh, we had talked a little bit about doing some christmas specials or holidays uh, yeah. specials that'd be definitely one and i know we got the one that uh i sent you and clint a video on on the uh seven Seven things, things we shouldn't argue about. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm sure you know which one in particular. I was like, yeah, we're definitely going to talk about that one. So uh, you mean baptism or musical instruments or Paul Paulology 101? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so well, we're we're finishing up apologetics. Um, I definitely like to. Uh, discuss about uh, the last the last uh, item that that we had left over for um, that Katie requested, which was um, having uh, is the Bible re- uh, reliable and can we believe in it? And then um, going back and just kind of reviewing what what these last three months, um, what we've gone over, how how the course went, the interactions that we had, and then uh, just getting prepared mentally to and spiritually to take what we learned here and also provide it into evangelism because the two do go together yeah because uh, so if we're not using it then it's it's pointless and absolutely you know if we're just gonna sit around and argue about what we believe and not actually share why we believe it mm-hmm. you know and that's that's the rest of 
First Peter three fifteen is you know give a reason for the hope that's within you. Um, that if we don't share the reason for the hope, then there's no reason to have hope. You know, so mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, brother, let's let's get started. Yeah, so you know, didn't really get a chance to talk about the Old Testament a little bit, but I I wanted to to leave it in class that you know nobody really knows anything for sure beyond 2000 years BC and that, you know, we just have what people wrote that there's basically nothing literally, but dust, um, you know, nothing survives that long except for the pyramids mm-hmm. <laughs> as it is. Um, but pretty much everything else is, is lost to history. And so, you know, I, I wanted to, to end class that way because, you know, people will say, well, you know, this is just a book of fairy tales or it's not that different than anything else. And so I can leave whatever I want to. And so um, I want to make that point because that's the one part of the Bible that I have to completely take on faith for me is the beginning of Genesis. Um, you know, I have no reason to doubt it because almost everything else in the Bible is backed up by history and things like that. And so, you know, if I'm taking 90% of the book based on its historical reliability or, it's, you know, the textual criticism, the value of manuscripts and things like that, then I'm okay taking that 10% on faith alone because if everything else is reliable, then and the most miraculous thing ever that Jesus rode from the dead, then everything else pales in comparison to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> if you could give us a brief, in our, in our idea of brief, not the other world's <laughs> idea of brief, <laughs> the, at least an hour right. <laughs> <laughs> of kind of what you, what you went over in class when it comes to the new testament because i'm going to pose a question to you before we go into the old testament okay um because what what you said is absolutely true um the faith portion of the old testament and um because when it comes to the 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 resurrection of christ like how it comes together be like i'll I'll come back to it because okay yeah yeah yeah, i'll come back to yeah so um the question will come after Okay. What you lay out, and it, it's it's going to be a good question. Okay. So for, in my in my mind, in it's mind. a good idea. It's a good question. <laughs> but going back to the New Testament, is that yeah, yeah, kind of what you did in class today? Yeah. So you know, Katie mentioned geography, and and so we we I started there because it's a good place because we can literally see the world around us, and as I mentioned, in you know, southwestern Utah and and around getting down into uh, New Mexico and the Grand Canyon and everything like that, that it's obvious that water did that. Um, and that we can, you know, we can trust what the Bible says because it's consistent with, with what looks, <laughs> how it looks the way it does. And I mentioned that, you know, pictures after dam bursts look like the Grand Canyon in a microcosm and just even just a, a couple hundred thousand million gallons of water can can do that in incidents and just imagine you know the whole world flooding and all that water moving through um but i i talked about that in the New wait Testament. hold on paul bunyan didn't make the grand canyon <laughs> i think he was like backup um actually oh you know, 
you know, he, he played second fiddle. Um, <laughs> I was always told Paul Bunyan in his well, big axe. Maybe. And Babe. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So, uh, so, um, I think it's, it's awesome. The type of work that you do and it, that you can come from a place of knowledge because knowledge is right. If we think about going back to the old Testament, going into Genesis, we're always trying to seek knowledge that we have to, um, have that actually Friday at men's donuts and Devo, it seems like everyone was dancing around the idea of like, um, like scripture, like, um, like our human faults of, how we translate or uh, not translate um interpret how we interpret uh scripture and we talk about they were talking about how smart people sometimes are not always the best and that uh foolish people sometimes are it's real easy for them to interpret um what god's saying here and i was like i was like yeah i was like it seems the more knowledge that we have the stupider we become because we're trying to we're trying to decode we're trying to have this special revelation from god you know we want to be the uh joseph smith and we want to be all these other people they're like i know the day and time it's like well you so yeah right i have another story on that but that's for another day um but yeah you know that we're all we're all we're all seeking this knowledge and have this um um interpretation but in your in your job to look at what you're doing and actually be able to be like well it's not just my own interpretation this is actual this is what it is right like i i I found i've never ever heard anyone explain that like hey if you see a dam break this is how all these um crevices get made all these different like that just makes total sense like yeah dude you're talking about a lot of water a lot of pressure a lot of things happening because the one thing i can think about is like if i turn on my pressure machine water pressure machine right Mm -hmm. dude that's gonna cut up rock that's gonna get it so that kind of amount of pressure that would come right and you think about the flood story and what actually took place it's like oh dude that that does make sense. I just went recently to the Grand Canyon for the first time in my whole entire life. Growing up in Arizona, never went to the Grand Canyon <laughs> ever. It's just a hole, yeah. right? My goodness, it's a beautiful place. Okay. Praise God how beautiful he makes things. And it's funny, they're not trying to say that the flood had something to do with it, but there is sprinklings of like, yeah, we think the flood had something to do with it. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, like at the park. Yeah, huh. yeah. They're the the guy that we were talking to. He was like, "Yeah." He's like, "So you see all these lines here? You see this one right here?" He's like, "That's the unexplained." Yeah, it's like two billion years <laughs> of rock is just missing. Yeah, yeah. Like, how did it happen? Yeah, so. it's the, called the Great Unconformity. I think yeah, unconformity and yeah, not disconformity. Yeah, like we only went to the North Rim and just it's a big hole, but man, it's a Big it's hole. a big hole. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, I'm sitting there on the on the north rim of, of there and I said, I wonder how much 
space is missing here in this. And, you know, like I said, I Googled it there and you know, some hateful Christian site was the first one. Yeah, so the volume of the Grand Canyon is you know, several thousand cubic miles. And like, where's that rock? If, if it is the Colorado River over millions of years, slowly carrying it down, it would be in Baja, California. There wouldn't be a bay there because it'd be filled up with rock. Um, and where we do find that rock is out in the Pacific. You know? and I've ne- I never heard that. So I found that really interesting. So what does that mean? That you find it in the Pacific, but you don't find it in Baja? Well, so you think about it. When you are, uh, say, with your pressure washer, you're blowing something, it's not going to be right after the end of it. It's going to be spread out around. But if if the Colorado River carved the Grand Canyon and everything else over millions and millions of years, slowly and slowly, slowly, the current would just, the sediment would drop. I mean, think of the Mississippi River Delta is this big, huge thing because we see the Mississippi River bring all this mud and, and silt and dirt and sand, and it just deposits it there. There's no such thing at the end of California. I mean, you've got Los Angeles and you can say <laughs> there's something there about trash and stuff. But anyway, not the people, but the <laughs> but if the river, if Colorado River slowly eroded the Grand Canyon, the Grand Canyon would be in Baja, California. It would be in that in that bay and it's not it. It's spread out over the Pacific as if a large, fast water source just basically blew it out and so we find that rock sediment out in the pacific we don't find it at the mouth of the colorado river and so you know that's not proof of anything it's just evidence that is consistent with our worldview because if you think a little water over a long period of time it's going to be right there. But if you think a whole lot of water over a very short period of time, mm-hmm. rock is going to be spread out way away from the mouth of the Colorado. And so, yeah, it doesn't prove the flood happened, but it the evidence is consistent with the flood. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> I want to take that information and then go ask. Uh, we spoke about it last week, right? Um, about my, my Hopi friends and mm-hmm. my Navajo friends. Yeah. And be like, tell me your recollection, what you you guys believe in the flood story, like what happened? Like, was it a burst of water that just came out of the earth and started flooding everything, right? Because then that would be the case, right? That if it ended up in the ocean, that if you think about a massive explosion, you're right. It's not like, oh, it's going to land right here. It's it's being right. scattered I mean, you all think over, about, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's being scattered all over. Um, yeah. To me, I was like, oh, I'm going to go take that info. I'm going to go ask what they think about that, right? And how does that, uh, do they believe, you know, well, we can look at things orally. I I think people discredit oral transit um, traditions. traditions. Yeah. And be like, oh, that's just old stuff. But there's a lot of truth in it. I mean, we talked about the 3,500-year-old telephone game that keeps continuing to go on today and still very accurate. You know, so, but very interesting stuff. I thought, uh, I found that really interesting. Yeah. But I mean, the good news is, is, you know, we, we wrote stuff down. There was a largely oral 
community because not everybody could read or write. And so, you know, like your your friends, you know, they weren't dumb. They just didn't have a lot of resources and things like that to be able to write things down. You didn't have printing presses and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so you depend on your memory to be able to tell reliable accounts of a story of a people's history. And so it's important to remember that. But I was just looking um, at notes I'd made that there's evidence in the Bible that talks about the notes that they took, the books that they had, the scrolls that they carried, things like that. So um, the oral tradition isn't something that we can just toss aside, but we can be encouraged that not only is there written evidence what we believe, but then within that evidence, it discusses itself how that evidence was transferred and preserved mm-hmm. and and you're going to bring it up here in a, in a in a couple of your your notes that you had but thinking about oral trans, um tradition um a lot of the times when they when i hear stories that are passed down they're always mentioning the name location and, and things of those things to reference to be like you can go and back it up. I may not be writing it down, but this is where you can go find the evidence that, oh, that's a real person. That's a real time. That's a real thing itself. So even though they they weren't able to write it down, uh, um, when we look at the history of people like passing down those histories, they put those, I call them milestones in there or mark, mild markers to be like, here, you can go back and, and look at it. And I don't want to steal your thunder when it comes to this stuff, but I feel like the New Testament does that very well in, in doing those things that even the Old Testament does, especially like now with so many things uh, happening in the archaeological world um, to, to be like, oh, how did they come to find that place? Well, I kind of looked in the Bible and gave me a mm. reference point. Yeah. You know, I've, I've said this to to my kids, you know, nowhere in the Bible does it say once upon a time. It's how fairy tales start. All throughout the Bible, it says, okay, at this place, this time, I'm going to tell you about all these people. You know, the New Testament starts with dates and names and walks it to Jesus. And, you know, so that's you can say, well, we just we just came up with those names. They they weren't anybody. But, you know, when we look at history, history tells us about some of those people. And so it doesn't give you the entire genealogy, but it, it in certain spots, non-biblical history tells us about people in the Bible and those dates match up to our timeline, too. And so, again, it doesn't prove the Bible is true, but it proves information in the Bible is true and that if we can trust that one thing and we can trust this other thing and you get so many things put together, then there's lots of reasons to trust the Bible. And we're relying on extra biblical evidence to make a reasonable historical case for what the Bible says. Like I've said, if we, if we can see that the Bible is trustworthy, then what the Bible says is worth our consideration. Um, but, you know, for the New Testament this this morning, I I talked about, you know, the history side of things, you know, that, you know, for instance, you know, Matthew and Luke talk about, um, you know, all these different rulers in, in Judea, you know, a Jewish historian working for the Romans confirmed the the order and location of all those leaders of 
Judea. And, you know, it's things like that, that, again, non-Christian history at the time said, yes, what these Christian historians wrote is consistent with what was going on outside the world. Yeah. <clears throat> when you, you were talking about Josephus, um, uh, I found that not not only interesting, it was kind of just more reaffirming things that I ever heard. Because this is not the first time I heard uh, uh, about Josephus, you know. But um, when you were laying out like, oh, how could that all be true? You have Felix, you have Agrippa, you have Pontius Pilate, you have all these different things. And you're like, that's too much going on, going too quickly. And, you know, it's like, well, first we can look at Agrippa. Yeah, Agrippa had king, but that's just like the king that's in England now. What power does he have? Absolutely none. <laughs> it's just the title, it's the, figure, the whole yeah. fanfare, right? So we get, we get beat up a lot on like this whole like, oh, you just believe this nonsense. But if it's like, okay, well, prove to me that it's nonsense what have you actually studied what does it actually mean that he was king was he a real king or was he just like the modern day king now that had absolutely no power it was more like well you're just going to be kind of like a, a a fanboy and you're going to sit there and do what we tell you yeah right and you can keep everything you have okay you mean i can have everything and i don't have to do nothing sounds great yeah sign me up yeah you know, so, um, and when we looked at the Roman Empire, it was like there was one Caesar, and yes, there was many other governors, and then uh, uh, not only the governors, then you had like the mayors, and you had like, if you look at the way government runs, everyone has certain powers in there, but they're not the power. Right. Right. So for them to be like, oh, it's like, it's like, okay, that's like saying, well, um, Chris Fletcher was running Burleson when um, <laughs> what's the the governor for Texas? Abbott. Abbott. Greg Abbott was the governor of Texas and Joe Biden was the president. Oh, there's all sorts of mistakes there. Who's running what? <laughs> Obama. I <don't>, sorry. <laughs> Thank you, Barry. Yeah. <laughs> Inflation's real. <laughs> yeah <laughs> never mind yeah, yeah we're gonna go um, <laughs> that's that's biblical inflation <laughs> yeah but you know Josephus talks about that he does confirm all those different rulers but it's also interesting that he provides evidence and understanding for things that um, are seemingly un insignificant in the Bible. Like I'm looking for my notes and I don't have it here, but um, in Acts, um, Luke describes a situation where I forget who it is in there. It might have been Agrippa, I think. Um, his sister was Bernice, if I remember right. Agrippa the second. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're traveling through Jerusalem and it's just sort of an offhanded comment that Luke makes. Um, Josephus tells us that basically Agrippa would parade his naked sister around to try to get the people who are trying to start a fight to calm down. Basically, hey, look at my naked sister. Don't worry about what a horrible leader I am. 
and Luke just says, you know, basically, hey, there's a parade with Agrippa and Bernice in, in Jerusalem. And then Josephus tells us why, because, you know, Josephus became a historian for the Romans in the late 60s when finally Rome said, okay, I'm done with this. We're going to, and they smacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple and all those things like that. And so again, that's, that's something that Luke didn't make a big point about that. He just makes a reference kind of like the pro councils, you know, just, he mentioned it and it, it wasn't like, he's not planting evidence someplace. He's just like, Hey, you know, this thing was going on. And then Josephus tells us that in the late fifties, Agrippa would parade Bernice around the cities and all the places where uprisings were happening because violent men like to look at naked women, then too as in now, and they he would use her as basically a pacifier for all these uprisings that were going on. So he didn't have to worry about fighting a war. But you know, Luke tells us that they're going through there. Josephus tells us why he was doing it. And so that's what's really cool about the New Testament is we have all these non-Christian, because, um, you know, back then Christianity wasn't popular. <laughs> um, you have all these non-Christian writers, the, the Jews and the Romans and the Greeks and the Assyrians and the Egyptians writing all these history that's consistent with what the Bible says, the New Testament in particular, and all these historical details. I mentioned John and Luke, you know, have more than a hundred historically reliable um, details in in their three books, but it's not a hist- it's not a history book. It's well, it is a historical book, but it's not a geography book. It's none of those things. But John just mentions things that you know people who study this stuff can say, well, yeah, what he said is accurate, but it's basically just an offhand comment. It's an insignificant detail of the story he's telling, you know, like coming down to Capernaum, it is actually a decrease in elevation. And so it could be, you know, a metaphorical tool that, you know, he's just traveling down to it, but he actually was traveling downhill, um, you know, Luke talking about the the time of the year and the direction they traveled around the Mediterranean for all the the missionary journeys that that Paul went on and what Luke describes is still consistent with the weather patterns and and what we know about the the terrain around the Mediterranean you know there's certain currents and certain wind patterns you know think of the hurricane season in the southeastern United States same kind of thing every Every year at this certain time, there's trade winds that go a certain direction that you can only travel to that location that time of year by taking this route. And just, again, insignificant details, historically reliable details that that Luke mentions in his account of what God is doing and what... (laughs) his account of what the Holy Spirit's doing through the apostles, you know, he's leaving all this evidence in his writing that what they're doing is, is legitimate from a historical standpoint. Yeah. Here in Acts 28, 11 and 13, he describes the trip from Alexandria um, to Putoli. Um, and in Josephus Antiquities book 18, Josephus describes Herod's travels to Rome. And during that journey, the boat traveled from the Levant to Egypt to Batuli en route 
um, to the destination Italy that Luke's description from Alexandria, which was in Egypt, to this location in Italy followed the same route that Josephus described Herod taking when he was going back to Rome. Um, so again, it's, it's encouraging to me that just small details, you know, Luke isn't trying to give a geography class, but he just says, hey, we got in the boat here and we went this way and got to this location. Again, Josephus tells us that that is the only way you can go at that time of year. So, yeah. <clears throat> it, I think we just keep coming back to the same thing of reliability that it's, it's there. It's what I guess you just got to choose to believe it or not. And even those who, <clears throat> who are trying to disprove the Bible, they use the references from there to go to find things or not to find the things and say, ha, it's not there. Um, best evidence right now would be, um, you know, the pool of Bethesda. Ha, it's not there. Fake. <laughs> oh, Fake. wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait. Right. And then uh, I mentioned in class with the findings of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, here recently, like they're just in this uproar, you know, talking about like they, they found this uh, pottery shroud, sh shroud, shroud, where's the, a piece of pottery. Yep. Um, and they, they thought that it's like, oh, well, this, this must be, um, newer than the time that would have taken place with Sodom and Gomorrah because there's uh glazing on it and glazing wasn't around in that, that time period. But when they, when they shard a shard, there you go. Uh, when they turned around the, the shard that it was like, wait, this, no, this is that time period. How could this be? And they're like, well extreme heat oh oh there was an extreme <laughs> heat event that happened well, what could that have been exactly oh right and they're talking about like oh it was a meter a meteor that exploded over it wasn't an impact not a meteor impact but just a burst of a meteor the heat itself you know um just in this like an atomic bomb you know super exactly burst above yes above the land yeah, so then that's what they brought up. Like, hey, you know, when they were testing the nuclear bomb, the the sand melted so much they had this glaze on it on the glass. That's exactly what happened here. So that's why they call it a heat event. Shut up. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and they're like, oh, this happened in, in Siberia. We're flattening out trees. It was like, yeah, but they can go find the crater that that, that meteor hit, right. came down on. There's, like, no, crater there's there. no crater. Right. So that's where they're at. They're at that, and then they talked about like the sulfur balls that they found <laughs> you're making this up legit bro like i'm like like i love history and archaeological uh, things like right you see me i'm always carrying my archaeological bible yeah because i like it like either she's always annoyed like why is that it's like i like history i like to see what what people try to disprove that they come to find out i go because if even if you open it the the people who are giving you the the notes on there they're trying to come from a worldly view and not so much a Christian view, but you can see like, yeah, this is, this is what it was come to find out. We're not going to hide the fact that this is a real deal. And we talked about the steelies that just came up yeah. and they're talking about Yahweh, Yahweh and the wanderers of 40 years. Like, like that's amazing. Like, Oh, Exodus never happening. Never happened. It's like, well, you find steelies here in, in Egypt that are saying that it did happen. Yeah. You know, did did that just 
all of a sudden come come to be like oh you you christians just planted that you jewish right. people just put that in there yeah right like we <laughs> historically disagreed with one another but yeah we're going to collude together to plant stuff in, in yeah. the ground you know but you know that's that's really interesting i hadn't heard that about sodom and gomorrah i'm not surprised um but you know they do the the same thing with jericho you know well mm-hmm. you know they've been um excavating thank you i was thinking archaeologizing isn't the word <laughs> um excavating jericho since the late 1800s around 1898 um garstang and kenyon and several different archaeologists they found it in around 1898 and they excavated it until about the 50s and then it just basically stopped um but the german who found it in 1898 and then the english like british english and then the american that came up until like the 40s all said well this is about in the right spot but we really know it's jericho because the stuff in the ground is what the bible tells us um, that there's this city, um, one that nobody ever rebuilt. That's not the case for a lot of places. Nobody ever rebuilt Jericho. Bible tells us why. Um, they found this, this mound and this mound had a thick outer wall and a tall inner wall. The, the thick wall collapsed in on the taller inner wall and then the inner wall collapsed on the city um and then there's this thick burn layer across the entire city and one of the things that they found um in this thick burn layer were these um clay pots they were closed so they didn't burn up they're mostly full of grain you know exodus tells us that they um they crossed the Jordan in the spring, the spring in in the Levant, in that area in Canaan um, is the harvest season. And so they would have lots of grain. And scripture says, you know, there's a seven day siege. You know, they marched around the city for seven days and then the walls fell down and Israelites took the city and they burned the whole city. These jars are mostly full. So it was in the harvest season and they were only having to live on what they had for seven days their jars of grain would be pretty full um and then in one spot in the only part of the city where houses are built into the wall go figure those that part of the wall is still standing Mm. again scripture tells us that could be Rahab's family house. We learn about Joshua and, and Caleb and the spies going in through the wall. And then she asked them to protect her and her family. And they said, you know, hang the red, the red cord out your window. So we would, we know where to protect and go figure. That's the only part of the wall that, that in the 1900s was still standing. Um, there was eight feet still exposed. It was the only part of the wall that was still standing. So Kathleen Kenyon comes in the 50s and said, well, I know it matches 
every detail in the Bible, it, that's not when it happened. Um, and she said, well, it collapsed way too early for it to be in the Bible. She said around the mid um, 15th century BC. So around, she said between 1450 and 1400 when it collapsed. So what we know that the Israelites didn't leave Egypt until the 1100s. So it couldn't have been that. Um, you know, another part of that, a guy named um, Manfred Bitek, he's been um, excavating in this town called Lavaris, which, you know, a lot of people get distracted by um, the Israelites being in Egypt because of Exodus 1 verse 11, it said, and so the Israelites were there for 400 years and they built the cities of Pithom and Ramses. And so that's where people get the idea that, well, the Israelites were captive of Ramses. We know when Ramses was, it was in the 12th century. Um, so Exodus had to happen in the 1100s. But Manfred Bitek, he's a Germ German archeologist. He's excavating in Avaris, which is you know, like a suburb of Ramses. You know, it's down 400 years or so. And he says, he was written about it extensively, that there's this Semitic people group that lived there or not the Israelites, but they're from where the Israelites were. Um, they built houses, distinct pottery, distinct archaeology, distinct food habits, goats and sheeps, not cows and pigs. Um, but it's not the Israelites. Um, oh, by the way, um, there's this concentration of resources. Um, suddenly they got all this stuff all at the same time. There's just evidence in how they know that is so there's a big collection of, of stuff, but not a whole lot of, of there's not a buildup of it. So the fact that it just appears shows that they got all this stuff really in a short period of time. And then there's this evidence that they just left. But it's not the, it's not the Israelites in the Bible. It's this semitic people the jews um they were there for like 400 years but it's not the jews um they suddenly got a bunch of stuff given to them but it's not the jews and yeah they just left suddenly but it's not the jews and so it, it's it's really interesting to me how hard people will say this the bible's not true the bible's not true and it's kind of like you know modern day atheists it just looks designed it just looks designed it's not actually designed they're saying yeah they're jewish people but they're not the jews you know jericho collapsed exactly like the bible but the bible is just made up um but if, you know, I was looking, you talking about in, in your Bible, it, it, it says it talks about the early dating of the Exodus. And I was reading it in not my it's different version, different translation of um, edition of the Bible. It, it's just worldview Bible. And it talks about the early and the late dating and even <laughs> the Holman Christian Standard Bible says, um, so there's a whole lot of evidence for the early um, or the late, the 1100 Exodus, um, because we like it there. <laughs> and then, well, and there is some, there's some people think of this early Exodus. Um, and again, this is written in, in the notes of the 
um, the translation of the Bible I have in the introduction to Exodus, and it says, well, you know, the Bible says it happened this way, and the Bible says it happened this way, and the Bible said it happened this way, but we don't, there must be a misunderstanding. (laughs) And so it's interesting that even people who write the Bible are afraid of what somebody else will say. So the specifics that, um, so because of Exodus chapter one, verse 11, it says, Yeah, and a new king who didn't know anything about Joseph came to power in Egypt and come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Verse 11, so the Egyptians assigned taskmasters of the Israelites to oppress them and force labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh. So people take that and say, well, Ramses had to have been that Pharaoh. That's the one place in the Old Testament where it says that. Exodus 1, verse 11. You go to... Judges 11, it says, while Israel lived in Heshbon and its villages and Aor and its cities on the banks of the Ammon, they were there 300 years. Why did not you deliver them in that time? We know we can date Judges to around 1100 BCE. They were there for 300 years. Add 300 years to 1100, you've got 1400 BC. You go to First Chronicles chapter 2, it explains 19 generations between the Exodus and Solomon. The average generation lasted 22 to 28 years. So take the middle of that, take so 25 years, 19 times 25 is 475 years. We know that Solomon built the temple in the mid 10th century. So the middle 900s at 475 years, you've got 1400. Um, First Kings 6 confirms that as well. So in the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Zib, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. You go 480 years back from the mid 10th century, it takes you to the 14th century BC. The date that Kathleen Kenyon says is too early for destruction is the mid 15th century. So you back up, (laughs) you back up to an exodus in the 1440s. They wandered in, in, the desert for 40 years and then they went into the land of israel jericho was the first city they destroyed it's destroyed exactly like the bible says and even the person who tried to discredit the fact that it came from the bible dated exactly the word the bible says it should be so was it destroyed by the not the israelites Yeah, I mean, we don't know. They give no explanation of who they think did it, but it couldn't have been the Bible because, well, I don't want it to be the Bible. Is is essentially how it how it goes. And again, we don't believe in the Bible. We believe in Almighty God and His His Son. But we can trust God 
because of what he says in this book. And I have, it is so much better for me to trust in a book that isn't a fairy tale, you know? And I think too many Christians, you know, Frank Turk talks about it, you know, they were talked out of it because they've never been talked into their faith. Mm-hmm. And when we know just a little bit, little bit about the book and we, we see that we can trust what it says because at key points in the book, it says things that the world around it confirms almost exactly. Um, like we were talking about a, a few weeks ago, Sennacherib, you know, the king of Assyria says he's angry at Hezekiah. He's going to go destroy Jerusalem. He takes his entire army and walks down to Jerusalem. And then he said he just went home. He decided, eh, wasn't a good day to destroy Hezekiah. Okay, we go and read the Old Testament and, you know, Hezekiah freaked out. Isaiah said, you know, why are you worried? We serve this awesome God. He goes and fasts and prays. And the Spirit of the Lord comes out and kills 186,000 of the Assyrian fighters. And then they run away bravely. What Scripture says is the reason for why Sennacherib himself said in his annals, said, we're going to go destroy Hezekiah. He's a jerk. I want to take over Jerusalem. Oh, we decided to come back home. It wasn't a good day to fight. Hezekiah, we, we see that God works through him and destroys 186,000 of Sennacherib's troops. That explains why Sennacherib went back to Assyria, licking his wounds, because we we get the answer in the Bible. And so again, he didn't. He's not going to say they killed 186,000 of my soldiers. We just, you know, I'm I'm a safe face, and we're just going to fall back and regroup. Um, but like Bernice and Agrippa in Acts, you know, the Old Testament tells us basically the same thing. Josephus tells us about Bernice. Sennacherib wrote about Hezekiah and when he went to attack Jerusalem and then just leaving after not attacking Jerusalem, the Old Testament tells us why. Um, And it's just, it's both testaments of the book is that way, you know, another steely in in Tel Dan in southern modern Syria today um, talks about the house of Daoud. Um, David, the house of David, it doesn't say anything else, but it mentions that as a, and that was a common phrase for a kingdom as for a king and then a family line as well. And that's dated around 1000 BC. That's when David took the throne, mm-hmm. Solomon built the temple in around 960. That's consistent with what the Bible says. It doesn't say, hey, the Bible's true, but it, it mentions the house of David, king in Israel. So if I know David was a real person, if I know his enemies said he was a real person, his, his enemies said he was a king in Israel, then that's one more reason I can trust the Bible. Um, you know, people will say, well, you know, another thing is, you know, the the Persians and the Babylonians that, you know, there's no evidence that they went and attacked Jerusalem. Um, 
they there's no evidence that they that, that they they captured anybody, let alone you know the whole king kingdom and things like that. But there is <laughs> it, it. What Nebuchadnezzar did, he didn't destroy Jerusalem. He didn't destroy Israel. Who came and basically smacked them and said, "Calm down, um, I'm in charge." And he took the king and he took the royal court. Basically, everybody else stayed there. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah tell us about the people that stayed there. Um, but in Nebuchadnezzar's um, writings, he explains that um, a plate found in Babylon, um, it's plate 10, and it lists oil rations for Jehoiakim king of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar ruled from 630 to 561 BC, and he's known as one of the greatest kings in the Babylonian empire. His existence isn't doubted, um, but his records confirm Jehoiakim's present in Babylon as well as the former king of Israel. Um, so what we, what we know from Babylonian history, from these, these plates, um, basically smaller steelies that they would carry around, basically think of it like court records. And this, mm -hmm. it was the ration list of, of the most important people that he had captured. And they were there specifically to show, hey, look, I've got this king on my record. This is what I, this is what I gave him. Look, look how awesome I am because I've got this list of, of other rulers in my captivity, but I'm going to treat them well and I'm going to show you what I gave them. They're his Pokemon. <laughs> he, he knew their their strength levels and called them out to the field when he needed them, right? Yeah, that, that's what it was like back in those days, right? That's what the kings would do. Is like, you know, uh, I think of that movie Troy, right? He was like, like, let's do it the old ways. Bring out your best fighter. Bring out my best fighter, and you know, whoever whoever's fighter's the winner, then you give over your kingship to me, and you just follow me, and when I need you, you. You just come when I call you, right? And the uh, same thing with 300 when the Persians went, yeah. right? It's like, <laughs> and the good old Leonidas is like, oh, I got this old football injury. I can't take the knee. <laughs> <laughs> right? But that's, that's what it was. So it's amazing to see that where they do have that written down, right? To be like, hey, this is who, who I have in my court. This is what I'm doing. And this is what we got. So, yeah. Um, on On... Not Nebuchadnezzar, but I think where some people, when they look into the Old Testament, where they have problems is like Esther, okay. right? And they're like, okay, we do know that um, the Persian Mede army came and they took over uh, Babylon. And we know that Osiris, no, not Osiris, that's uh, <laughs> that that was last week. That was about <laughs> mythology. Um What's the, what's the guy's name? Um, Cyrus the Great, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, Cyrus the Great. Like Cyrus and Darius and Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, are all yeah, in yeah, Babylon, so, Persian Empire, yeah. Yeah, so when, when we see there and we think about um, um, Esther's, Esther, is it Esther? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Esther's husband, right? They're like, there was never a Queen Esther here. The Jewish people weren't here. So, you know, I think there's some, some issues there. What have you you ever addressed that so i was actually i brought up esther after class um mm. 
talking to one of the men, he was mentioning, you know, he asked about the hypogrypha. You brought it up. Um, but he was asking about that. He's got a, a friend who knows it all at work. And, mm -hmm. you know, but he actually is willing to talk and ask questions. And I said, well, that's, that, that's, I'm glad that he sees something in you that he's willing to come to you, even though he thinks he knows it all. Um, but, you know, he was just trying to poke him that, you know, the Bible is just this moral book and it's basically rules that everybody wants to follow and is doesn't really have a point. It's just teaching good stories. And plus, you know, there's these book, the Apocrypha, they're not in there. So they just made up the books that they want to. And I brought up, you know, that's a really good discussion, you know, because there are, are certain um, reasons like the New Testament, the Old Testament was believed to be canon um, because they were inspired by God. They're written by a person believed to be appointed by God and they were collected and preserved by God's people. And I mentioned, you know, you know, the case for like the Maccabees, you know, is well, because it was in that intertestamental period, you know, after, you know, Malachi about 450 prophets ended there was nothing and I said well how is that fundamentally different than Esther um, because Esther was about a religious people it was about Jews dispossessed and out of place doesn't mention the name of God once Maccabees does <laughs> and so it is an interesting discussion to have that that basically Esther is this history book that doesn't even say God Yahweh um, Elohim, nothing. It talks about praying. It talks about being faithful. It talks about the Jews. It talks about being, um, you know, a dispossessed people that were persecuted. Um, it's kind of like the woman caught in adultery. It's consistent with biblical history, but it is, it is essentially a history book. Why did that one make it not the Maccabees? Basically the, the answer is timing. You know, we know the Maccabees happened in the late first century BC, around that time when, when the Romans were basically taking over Jerusalem um, for the last time, and you know they put pigs in the in the the temple, and they were conducting child sacrifices and all these things like that. And so the the Maccabean revolt happened, and that's in history, and they wrote about it, and so well that one's not in there so why is esther there and basically it's timing that esther happened in a time period in between um the prophets and consistent with the rest of biblical history where the maccabees is after god was apparently silent um and so those are all really good questions that we need to be willing to discuss because like <laughs> like coworker that we were discussing, you know, he thinks he knows everything, you know? And so when we, when we recognize that we don't and are willing to say that, that, you know, I don't know everything, you know, that's, that's a really good question. I don't really know for sure. I would like to go do some research and come back so I can speak more intelligently about that. And, and when we approach our faith that way, and it doesn't mean that we don't have good faith it just means that we don't know everything. And that is more of a history question. That is more of a, you know, a knowledge question and not a faith question. And not that those two things are separate, but you know, you don't have 
a lack of faith because you don't know mm. exactly why the 39 books of the Old Testament were there and they're the only books that were there, you know, because like, I was I was telling Daniel that, you know, I'm not even sure. Um, I know why the 39 books were kept there, but like I said, I'm not real sure about other than timing for for Esther being there. Um, but, you know, I said, I'm going to go do some research. I've got a couple of books that I think might speak to this. Um, and I'll see if if I can find some more information because, you know, I've studied this and and I don't know. But I think when we're willing to say, you know, I, I don't know all the answers. You know, I don't know anybody who does know all the answers. I know a few answers and I know people who know more answers. And I have access to books and libraries and things like that have more of the answers. But I We'll never have all the answers. I do yeah. have to take some of it on faith, but I have faith. I don't believe because of the evidence, but my faith is more reasonable because of the evidence. I'm excited to see if God reveals evidences for that. You know, he consistently does that. There's such a huge increase of Christian of Christianity happening in Iran yeah. that finally they're like, here it is. Here's all that stuff. Right. Because we see, we see how God used, uh, Darius and Cyrus, uh, Cyrus the great to overcome Babylon, right. To lead the Jewish people to be freed from captivity. Right. And, yeah. and I think about that and I was like, wow, like he may or may not, but I don't know. Cause I, I like that stuff. I'm like, man, it'll be cool when he does like, oh, here, here's some more, here's some more proof. These yeah. silly people. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> so, I- Iran, modern day Iran is the heart of former Persia. Yeah. Um, and kind of like you were talking about in Saudi Arabia with Titus Kennedy, there's fenced off areas that may have biblical significance, but you're not allowed to get close to it because Mm -hmm. that could screw their whole game up. Same thing in modern day Iran, you know, the Islamic Republic of Iran has a literal stranglehold on the population, but that's a big country. It's a really big country and they can't hold everything down Mm -hmm. and people and things are showing that there's there's faith growing in that country in something other than Allah, something other than Muhammad. And yeah, it'll be awesome just to see what happens because that's the good and the sad part about the world today is while faith is waning in America, while people are walking away from the church, it's growing in the non-Western world, you know, in China, in Iran, in Africa and all these all these other places that well you know they're Islamic or they're you know some other other faith but they're they're finding faith in God because he is alive and he is moving and he works everywhere and all of our biblical history is there from all around the Mediterranean, out to Persia, that's where Christianity started. So that's where all the evidence is. And these people who have no reason to follow Jesus are are coming to Jesus partially because of the evidence, partially because people are actually acting like Jesus there and are breaking the chains of hatred and 
know, all kinds of stuff that Christians around the world have done because we get so convinced that we've got it right. Nobody else has it right. And, and we have to tell everybody all the answers instead of following Jesus. He did have all the answers and he didn't shove them down people's throat. Mm-hmm. You know, he went to those places. He, he you know, we're going to go into apologetics and this is, or from apologetics into evangelism. This is how that works. If we take the knowledge that we have about why we can trust the Bible and that, that should give us courage to say, well, this isn't just a book of, of fairy tales and fables. Yes, there is a moral component to it, but it's not even mostly about that. It is the Old Testament specifically revealing God to a certain people in history. And there's history that shows that those people existed when the Bible says they existed and they did the things that the Bible says they did. And then there's evidence that Jesus really existed. And the things that the Bible says he did, non-Christian sources say the same thing. No, non-Christian sources say he was crucified by Pontius Pilate. Non-Christian sources say his followers saw him alive. What the Bible says is validated by history from almost the very beginning, from mid-Genesis forward, there's evidence outside the Bible that what the Bible is saying. And when, when I'm confident that what I believe isn't a fairy tale and I didn't make it up and I can, if you want to know, I can show you the evidence that, that support the Bible. But when I know that I'm not, I don't have to have blind faith that I can trust the Bible. I can trust God. I can have faith in Jesus and I can be redeemed and empowered by the Holy spirit. But it doesn't have to be blind faith. It can be, it can be substantiated by the reliability of the Bible. And then when all that, with all that, I want to share and I'm, I'm courageous and I see how dumb and sinful and awful we are from the beginning to the end. Nobody had this figured out in this book, even the leaders, nobody had it figured out, but Jesus. And when we realize that when I don't have it figured out, then I don't need to just give up and walk away. When I recognize, as we talked about in the spring, when I'm shameless about my faith, I'm shameless about my own sinfulness that yes, man, you're right. I did that. Yep. You don't even know half of it. Um, a wretched man that I am. Let me tell you about this God that saved me and see all that garbage I did. Yep. That was me. Look at me now. Look at what he's doing, what he's doing around the world. And when we get excited about God and we get excited about what he's doing in us and we're not judgmental and we're not beating people over the head with the Bible, we can love people like Jesus. We can love people and we can bring the truth. We treat them with love and truth, with grace and truth. That's, that's how we change the world. We do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't do it because we have all the answers. We do it because we want to go and we want to love people. And I can be confident about taking that to people when I know that what I believe is at least reasonable from just a historical standpoint. All right, so I'm going to go to the question. Yeah. And it's going to be based on the information that you gave on uh, the reliability of the New Testament. 
this question has to be just what the experiences that I've had here at this church, not the, the big C, but the little C here, um, where I've heard and been told, oh, don't worry about the Old Testament, just worry about the New Testament. And I'm not sure if that was just the basis of like, oh, you're just a new Christian, so that's what you need to focus on. <clears throat> but it makes me wonder if, if they do that in the sense that like we have a lot more evidence for the new than the old testament so it's a little bit more reliable what what do you feel about that i'm not saying that that's the actual reasoning but i'm posing the question do you feel like that that's an easier way for people to to believe and be like start here in order for you to understand the old so I haven't heard that and I'm glad because there's not a face that I'm imagining when I'm saying this. Um, there's a, uh, it's got a name, I don't remember what it is, um, but there's this group of Christians that say, that say, well, the God of the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament. I think we get in the habit of doing that while not admitting that, that, well, the God of the Old Testament was angry and mean and did all these things. You know, he killed people and he slaughtered thousands. And uh, But Jesus, um, that's a, <laughs> interestingly enough, that's a very progressive view of God, mm -hmm. but it's also not new. It's thousands of years old. Um, 1500, 1800 years, it started in this late second, early third century that the God of the Old Testament was mean and angry. But the God of the New Testament, this is Jesus, you know, he, he changed everything. So um, I think it might be there. One, that is easier to explain the New Testament than it is the Old Testament, um, because there's not even this perception of violence in the New Testament. Now, fast forward to crusades and, you know, we can do a special on that. It's not what most people think anyway, but, you know, people have done it wrong in the Inquisition and, and mm -hmm. you know, the Spanish occupation of Central and South America and, you know, killing people for Jesus, you know, yeah. as it, you convert or die, basically the same Muslim model. Um, but there's no, the only violence in the New Testament is enacted on Christians. And so I think it's, it's an easier pitch, for lack of a better term, because I have less to explain if, if I just say, Hey, read the new Testament, focus on the new Testament, you know, look at what Jesus said, look what Luke said, look what Paul wrote, you know, look at those things. So I don't know, I haven't heard it and I don't know anybody, but I think it would be tied up there. Yes. It is easier to find information that the new Testament is reliable than the old Testament. You have to read more books. Um, you, they don't have it on so many websites. You know, you actually got to read really thick, really boring books to find this information about the Old Testament because it is older, because it takes more time and it's not as attractive. And so I, th I think the answer is somewhere in there that it takes more work to find evidence for the Old Testament. It's easier in the New Testament, but also God is easier to explain in the New Testament than God in the Old Testament. Mm. Um, but to that point, um, I tell people, I think God of the Old Testament was nicer than God in the New Testament. 
and that it falls in the same category. But I, I, I'm because I say, well, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, God revealed Himself and a whole lot more patience in the Old Testament. God repeatedly heard His people. He repeatedly forgave them. I mean, the Book of Judges is constant cycle of disobedience and redemption, disobedience or redemption. Look at Saul, look at David, look mm-hmm. at every other, look at Solomon, look at all of the kings. You know, we've talked about this and only three of the kings after Solomon were any good. Um, the rest of them were horrible. Um, and Stacy's reading through chronologically through the Bible this year and she just got through the different half of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was just a Ezekiel and Leviticus are the two hardest books in the Bible for me to read because they're just so depressing. <laughs> but, you know, the first part of Ezekiel, he's, you know, laying on one side for a year and he's laying in his waist and then the, then he rolls over and lays on the other side. But then after that, you know, Ezekiel is is speaking for God and he's saying, you know, this is the midnight mid 10th century so 95960 um bc um ezekiel communicates for god i'm done and even then he wasn't done it just i'm not listening anymore is basically what he tells ezekiel i'm i'm i've heard i don't even hear their prayers anymore they're they're talking it's just noise i'm not listening to anymore because they suck and he's right but he he didn't stay there and you know i'm not arguing that god changed his mind that he wasn't consistent it just he think about it anytime you get ticked off with your kids you still love them and you're still going to be there but just go away i can't stand to see you right now i don't want to say or do something i'm going to regret and i'm not trying to make god look like me but i can i can begin to imagine why what he says is a reasonable response after 900 years of disobedience i can't imagine how i would feel but the old testament is this constant cycle of disobedience and forgiveness redemption disobedience forgiveness redemption the entire old testament is this story of promise obedience disobedience redemption from abraham from Adam and Eve to Abraham to Noah to Moses to all the kings of Israel from beginning to end is this cycle of disobedience, forgiveness, redemption. That's the same story in the New Testament. But how I think God showed more grace and more forgiveness in the Old Testament is Jesus came in his first sermon. Yeah, you've heard don't kill you've heard don't steal you've heard i want your actions i want your heart jesus increased the standard now he gave a different outcome and a different means to get back to god but jesus increased requirements from the old testament but he did it a different way he pitched it different and so i think all those things are surprise a really long answer from sean um I think that could be why you've heard that. Well, read the New Testament, stay away from the Old Testament, is is people in the church, big C, um, get confused, you know, Paulology or Christology. um, 
But it's easier to defend that because only Christians were attacked. Christians weren't attacking other people, but you got the Jews and all the things they did in Canaan or were told to do in Canaan and the Midianites and Gibeonites and all these different things like that, that you've got this angry God in the Old Testament. But the God of the Old Testament showed more forgiveness, more long suffering, more grace than we see in the New Testament if we just look at it on its own merit. So anyway, that I think that's probably where they're coming from. One, it's easier to find reliability in the New Testament. Two, there's less to explain in the New Testament, but mm-hmm. the Old Testament, you've got to do a lot more work and you've got to look at it from a different perspective that if you, if you read from Genesis through Malachi, um, man, God is forgiving and God is gracious. Man, God is long suffering. He is all the things that he tells Moses and Joshua. You know, I'm the God of your fathers, Jacob, Isaac. Um, I'm, I'm faithful and long suffering. I'm forgiving. He is from front to back. Just you've got to look at it from a different perspective to see it that way. Um, and so I, that's probably it that, yeah, we've got a lot of, a lot of reasons to trust the new and the old Testament. As I said at the beginning of this podcast and, and the end of class, that there's stuff that we do just have to take on faith. That's half of Genesis. That's it. Um, but we can, we can be encouraged that the other 90% of the book is historically reliable and we can trust all of what God says, not because of what the Bible says or what history says about the Bible. We can trust what the Bible says because we see God working in us. We see God working in in the world. We see the son of God rising again. And we, he tells us it's better for me to go because then the helper will come, you know, then, you know, if you have faith, you'll be able to tell this mountain and go that, he says, you're going to be able to do greater things because I'm going to be inside you. And when we act like that, there's no limit to what we can't do. And so following up, um, you said, it's, I don't want to misquote you. It's, it is easier. That, that's what you said, right? Easier. Yeah. <clears throat> it is easier, right? To just focus on the New Testament. But I feel as though you can't really grasp the power of the resurrection without the old testament like the the fairy tale portion of the new testament is the resurrection right as where the old testament there's the world there's like oh there's a bunch <laughs> there's a bunch of fairy tale situations <laughs> yeah. there <clears throat> but it goes back to what frank was talking about is like the resurrection is easy if you think about the greatest miracle that ever happened right he, he talks about the beginning it's like yeah like the power to create everything through word, the resurrection is nothing, right? And that, so I feel like um, projection wise for myself um, is, I think one of the biggest issues that we have when we run into not being prepared to evangelize or even have a defense for what we believe in is that um, people say, I've read the Bible five times. Great, you've read the Bible. How many times have you studied the Bible. And I think that's where a lot of issues happen in what we do and why we can't realize like, wow, there's evidences all over the freaking place because I've actually, oh, I took time not just to listen. 
I I love the Bible app, and I know people talk so well of the Bible. It's a great it's a great tool. I will never badmouth it, but I do understand that sometimes um, it's a uh, not the best thing as well. Is that people will rely on just like oh I just play it, press play and I listen to it and it's like okay where are you where are you actually getting into it? Well I do the the devotionals. Okay great. Well I'm glad you're doing devotionals. Where's your devotional? What what are you writing down? What is um, so one thing that I've done that I've always tried to encourage other people to do is like when they read scriptures, like what's God telling you and what are you telling God? Like that's a good great good good way to actually grow and understanding what the spirit is trying to tell you. And and then uh, I've I've seen evidences where uh, I've responded back to God and He's like, No, you're an idiot. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying here. Let me do this in your life to be like, oh, got it. That's yeah. what you mean. Got it now. I am kind of slow, but I'm glad you showed me. And I think that's where we run into these issues where uh, we always consistently have to, if we're just listening, if we're just reading the Bible and not studying it, we're always going to find ourselves never ready to, yeah. to have the defenses and never be ready to tell people what we actually believe in because it's like, oh, I read that. I read that book. How to do it for school? Yeah. This is like it's done and over. Where hey, we're consistently in here. What does that mean to you? And to be able to be open to be like, man, I got that interpretation completely wrong, right? Because scripture is is God breathe, right? For what? Teaching, training, rebuking. Yeah. And guess what? It's not for you to do it to them. It's so they can do it to you. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And it's that's inward looking the uh, humility to be like, man, I'm absolutely incorrect. Right. And that's what I love. Like here, you know, when we teach, it's like, man, if I'm incorrect, incorrect, please come and tell me. I think they get weirded out that we tell them that because like what Christian does that? Every Christian knows what they're talking about. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> Hopefully. But... Hopefully. Yeah. So um but I think that's that's the biggest thing. So um there is a bunch of evidences out there. And I think consistently through the summer you said if you don't know just say you don't know you you stand on bigger firmer ground by saying wow that's that's, that's a really that's a, good question. that's a great question i don't know the answer to that let me research that and let me come back to you let's do coffee next week yeah oh my gosh you just did a little bit of evangelism <laughs> you know what i mean so um with that let's segue into here our our final uh, 45 minutes. <laughs> I, I told the ladies it's going to be at least a three hour podcast. <laughs> we don't have to do three hours, but, um, we went just over s so much this, this summer. Um, and I know you, you can probably do two years of, Hey, let's break this down and maybe still yeah. scratch the surface of, of what it is, of what we believe in and why we believe it. And how do we, um, answer those questions when time comes um, for you, what's been your, your favorite topic? Why has it been your favorite topic? And for you, what grieves you? Like, man, I wish I had more time to go over this specific topic. Coming from where I'm coming from, you know, we've talked about this in the men's class. I'm from a place of pain. I... I liked the discussion around the problem of evil. I liked, I liked hearing what 
people said. I liked just recognizing, you know, reading people's expressions and things like that. And in discussion of, you know, if, if there's a good God, you know, why is there so much evil? Does God not, not care enough or is he not power enough, powerful enough to stop it? Um, you know, in, in class, we separated that in the, the pastoral response and then the the rational apologetic response. And, you know, because it was the pastoral response that helped me see past the evil and really gave me a reason to trust God because I saw that I could trust somebody else. And so that that discussion is always meaningful for me because sucks out there and when christians are open enough to admit that and then be willing to walk with somebody through that pain and not preach at them not you know know, god closed the door he opens a window and you know never gives you more than you handle and all that stuff that's not in the bible And people are willing to get past that and say, you know, I, I see that, man, I can't imagine what that's like. I'm here for you. And then having that conversation is always meaningful for me because God gives me new insights, but then also see how that's true in other people's lives. And, and so that definitely was my favorite part of, of the summer because it it wasn't a disappointment in that. Um, and you asked my least favorite? You asked me that? Or no, just my favorite. And then no, you're pretty, and what, which topic, um, like, what grieves you? Like, I just wish I had, I just wish I could have spent a lot more time in this. Um, you're like <laughs> all of them. <laughs> well, yeah. You just have to well, pick one. Like you said, like I could, <laughs> I could go on and on and on because there is just so much. But, you know, that wasn't the point of the summer. Um, where I wanted to and at the same time didn't want to stay because there's just so much is the whole gender thing that mm-hmm. because, like, it's sort of tongue-in-cheek, the LGBT WXYZ, it basically is that long. And so because that is the thing now, all of that gender ideology and stuff, there's just so much, there's so much mess. And, and so there's so many things that we could talk about, but also there's no point in keep talking about it. Cause if we're not willing to just, there has to be a point where we're done talking and we've got to start doing. And so, yeah that's that's this is the third time i've taught it and just it gets harder not easier because look outside and it's just more and more prevalent um you know and it's not just on the news you know talk to the men's class that you know teachers are like 40 percent of the girls are somewhere on the spectrum you know one of the other guys in the Winston night class said you know, in high school, like the girls are losing their minds and the boys are like, I don't have anything to do with that. Um, he said, it's interesting that in high school, like the boys are becoming more conservative while the girls lose their minds. Anyway, so there's some potentially good to that. And maybe they won't be fooling around in the, in the, in the backseat of cars, but still, anyway, it, it's just, it's everywhere. It's not just on the news. Um, 
I think largely because the church decided either I'm going to be hateful and I'm going to shut everybody out or we're not going to talk about that. And that has created this vacuum that Satan walked through and, hey, here I am. And, you know, he brings lies and destruction. And that that is a really good summary for all this mess. And so just breaks my heart that we have to talk about this, but we also have to shut up about it and start making that thing not the thing. The thing is Jesus. The thing is just sin, is just selfishness. Like Jackie O'Perry says in her book, you know, the same sex attractiveness, it's we can't be about that. It's not about that anyway. It's about selfishness. It's about pride. It's about me being God as opposed to God being God. And when we we start having that discussion, how do we fix whatever the problem? Because the risen sun is the solution to the problem. And if we don't ever start moving towards him, it doesn't matter what the thing is, whether it's murder or theft or lying or just lying to yourself, it's the same solution. And we've got to get to work sharing, showing the love of Jesus and sharing the truth of the gospel. So we've got to stop talking about the thing and just start doing. How about you? What what was your favorite thing that we talked about? I'm always uh, more passionate about the abortion, just like you, you know, just kind of life in general. Uh, that is, I'm willing to discuss that one just because we're talking real life and death. Yeah. Right. And not saying that what we don't talk about isn't about life and death, because it is. It's about eternal life and eternal death, but in in real time, right now that's the uh it's the conversation i i do like to get into and to be tactful and caring from my heart actually from my heart when um encountering people going through that situation where they're going to make a decision to choose life or to choose death and despite what happens um that they know that they're loved and uh to to go through that that class and actually have the argument here, it, it kind of hurt, hurt my heart. I felt really disgusted. I I texted you right away, right? I was like, like man, I feel just gross. Um, but I knew it was it was important because I know the talking points. I know those things for for this group to hear those things. That if they're gonna stand um, and be consistent, uh, the other side, that they're gonna say yes. Um, I understand you're autistic and yes, I agree. They should have got rid of you. Yes. Like you were a burden. You may not be now, but you may be a burden later. Yes. Get rid of you. That's something very consistent that they do and they do it to be hurtful. I don't know if they really mean it. Right. I don't know their heart, but to me, that was the, the one because, um, it, it's not just one life we're saving. We're, we're looking to save the father and the mother of that relationship as well whether they they become the the parents or not we care about them and uh, so that by far that was the the one i enjoyed and disliked at the same time yeah but it it was the most meaningful one for me uh out of the whole group um where we could have spent a lot more time i think 
I'm on board with the uh, the the gender, but I felt at the same time it was like, okay, we do need a little small break from it because we just pounded that one um, in the in in the spring, <laughs> right? Yeah. Winter spring session. It is. It's a relevant thing. But if if I had to, if I had to say to choose a different one, um. I, I would say the reliability, the reliability of the Bible, just because I love to nerd out over the history and the things that are coming out, and how much um, in awe I am of God to know, like He doesn't need Sean Campbell, doesn't need Jeff Anthony to prove himself and to show things that He just does it on His own. And it's like, oh, he doesn't even need Frank Turk or what you might yeah, say, or so, Titus Kennedy or exactly, anybody. yeah, so. <laughs> And to, to sit there because I do see, I do see, and um, I don't know, I don't know if Gen X is that way. I think Gen X, like us, we're just kind of like, eh, if it don't kill me, I'm gonna like it. If it kills me, I'll probably still like it. I, I, that's Gen X, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the generations after that, I feel, is more critical and more cynical than X is, um, which for us, it, it should be. A challenge we want to accept to be like okay if, if you if you're going to be this critical and this cynical then you give me your time stop stop acting like you want to know things and not give the time to it look put, yeah put your money where your mouth is right yeah. like that's where i'm at in, in that and where i'm like i will spend if it takes us a, a year to do it i'm willing to do it for a year but these guys they no you know what I mean? And and I'm not saying like the, the group that we're we're in right now. I just these last two generations, that's that's something. Now, these like Air, uh Laney's generation, dude, they're a lot of they're more like Gen X than than people realize. They're yeah, though the uh we I, I think when we were growing up, um we we got we asked questions and we were kinda like, okay. No, that's not, I don't know. I felt like we were blessed with more um, sense than most people. <laughs> because I think God gave us that, right? This is just Jeff Anthony now. Uh, I'm going on a tangent. I, I really do think that God gave Gen X this amazing um, common sense because we're, we're the first set of latchkeys. Yeah. They got to figure this stuff out on their own because their parents are not around. It's like here you go so and and i see that from link i see that from uh laney right you said the other day you're like link said something and i was like wow <laughs> like you know what i mean so yeah. i'm like man that's great and he we, didn't get that from me <laughs> yeah exactly right i know and we actually talked about that it it, it, it is a circle like that there's the the ones that cause the problems then the ones that are like what the heck just happened and then there's like i gotta be the one to clean this up yeah right and so it's always those threes so i'm always looking at it that on there but i yeah i i wish we could have spent more time on on this topic so when katie asked about it i was like yeah let's let's do it let's extend the course a little bit longer just to 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 do that and um i you know a great opportunity as long as this class wants us here we'll we'll be able to come back and and do that and of course evangelism is going to be a lot based of um showing just more evidences more evidences of who our who our god is and because who's going to want to evangelize 
to anybody if they don't even believe it themselves. Right. You know what I mean? So, yeah. That's the, in a nutshell, that's, that's probably the, the two things for myself. But I'm definitely encouraged by the group. Um, definitely. They, they, they had a lot of good input. They had a lot of pushback on certain yeah. things that, that helped, that blessed us and being able to think more clearly. And then also to show them how to think critically and how to, how to oppose the difference in, in a way that is tactful. Um, but we do know that typically when we, when this situation arises, the other side isn't going to be tactful. They're going to be a tactful. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and we got to be ready for that. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, okay. <laughs> it's like, it's like, all right, fine. If that's what we're going to do, let's, right. how can I do that? Well, like I tell the students on Friday and like I've said in here, the moment somebody starts yelling, everybody stops listening. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So stop yelling at me. Yeah. Hey, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, but yeah, um, I'm excited about uh, the come course. Um, I know everybody, man, everybody let me down today, bro. Why? Because like, did they have to sit at the table? They just, they just made Edith look so good in her eyes. She's like, this is what's going to happen. No, nah, no, they're going to sit with each other. Well, they did sit with each other. Yeah. So- just not at the right place. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and then it was worse when you guys are like, I don't know. I was like, well, it, it works for what I'm going to do. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna go eat pizza. Yeah, like, yeah. Then we'll figure out the room, but we'll go from there. But I'm excited. Um, a lot of good things happening with the this uh, conference that's coming up next week, and then um, we'll see about the one over at um, Crescent Wood. Crescent Wood. Yep. Let's see see if that works out for us. If not, we'll just do the the live streaming and go from there, and then. Um, we're going to be updating the calendar as well with some events. So uh, we had, we had some pizza afterwards and sat down with the, uh, several of the, the group here to plan out those events. Yeah, man. Sorry, dude. I, that, that food just started hitting me a little while ago. Like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I'm suffering. I got my second window. I was like, all right. <laughs> I was like, Oh no. It's like, yeah, it's not you, man. It's no, the pizza, that, that was, the carbs. <laughs> you know, great to see, you know, investing in in themselves you know hanging out and getting pizza and just you know thinking about why they want to invest and then how to get other people to to pay attention and so i'm yeah. just we're gonna, super excited about that and hopefully god blesses their efforts because this is yeah. about y'all it's not about us you know we sign the checks we unlock the doors we turn the lights out and back on again but you know this is this is the young adults class. It's not the Jeff yeah. and Sean class. Yeah. Yeah. We got kicked out of that class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we kicked ourselves out. Let's go somewhere else. Yeah. Now, and thank you so much for, for going over the apologetics class. I look forward to whatever you're going to bring up in the uh, spring semester. So start thinking about that. Yeah. Well, we need some feedback on, on where to go. I mean, we're going to, work on evangelism through the fall and then kind of get something kicked up again and in january right yeah so Mm -hmm. like to know you know what's not just relevant but important you know and so we appreciate any feedback you know you can 
Texas, you can slip a note in or just, you know, bring it up in class and see what other people think about it. But yeah, we're going to need some help because, you know, this is about y'all and not about me and, and Jeff Anthony. So, um, I, I would like to put something out there because I think this goes into the surveys that we did is what is the gospel? Mm. Right. I'm, I'm going to talk about evangelism and I'm going to bring in the gospel, but I'm not going to do gospel teaching, which is, which is important. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm assuming they all know what it means, what the gospel is and what, what it means. Right. Because that's, that's the rock of our, of our faith. I think that'd be great because how, how do you go and, explain the gospel to someone or better yet because you're such a smart person and you're studious <laughs> why don't you do the trin the trinity hmm. Th these are mine throwing out yeah just things to think about so and then not, you could always do 95 theses <laughs> oh no. that's for the summer you, you can do yeah that. <laughs> that's for the summer yeah. catholics <laughs> oh no yeah yeah Oh, did you bring that up today? Who did I hear? No. Yeah, it was me. Yeah. It was the, it was you, the right? New Testament canon. It was Catholic because it, it was universal. Yeah. It was consistent. And then it was apostolic. So, no, no, yeah, no. Small C Catholic. You did bring it up, but then Edith was asking somebody, somebody after class, like, oh, you guys are trying to be Catholics? I go, we're all Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> it was, no one even looked or chuckled right. at me. I was like, come on. It's like, we yeah. are. <laughs> Why you raise raise your eyebrow? Oh. <laughs> don't worry, you're, you'll I don't, be. You'll I don't be think in my anybody class. else is excited as you are about that. <laughs> well, because they didn't, they didn't see, they didn't see what I'm talking about, though. It's, it's, it's it is. I don't know. Um, actually, on Wednesday's class, we were kind of talking about um, the we're in Revelation 18, and we're talking about. Um, the antichrist right and so um and I, I got to a point where i was like this is where um people believe the the papacy fits the ten horns yeah. right so and then uh and i go it, it was amazing the conversation that happened and it was like oh like man and i, I know i tease a lot about uh catholicism but i love my catholic family you know what i mean is there things that i'm like man you shouldn't really that's a iffy and i think you should look into that yeah <laughs> that's typically what i'll do now you know instead of being like oh where does that say that in the Bible? yeah exactly <laughs> exactly right so but for myself i'm what oh, the lord made me wise enough to be like before you make that statement you best read the apocrypha you best read the other books that are in their bible before because if they bring it up that oh it comes from this and you're like oh what's what that mean? yeah yeah you're gonna fall flat on your face um so but i i brought it up and i was like the one thing was like hey you guys do need to realize that catholics are christians like oh, there's some things that are kind of like oh but where does that stem from i was like where was that really from the apostles teaching because that's what catholicism originally was was apostle teaching right right and then constantine yeah. came around and the roman catholic church became that right and they eliminated just the catholic church at that point right so um and that's where i'm like well i don't have anything against catholicism i do have an issue with roman catholicism though yeah Right. And so when we think about what Catholicism is, and that's where Luther un unveiled 
was like, hey, I have that problem as well. And so I think that's the, the interesting part. But I think that goes into here the uh, reliability because we did talk about KJV. Yeah. Look, dude, I'm about to extend our podcast. <laughs> I was like, wait, we talked about the KJV and we talked about all this other stuff. But hey, man, like I said, well, well this you, is this is <laughs> you said Roman Catholic. And, and so they got me thinking, you know, Peter, the Rock of Church, the first pope. Um, it's really interesting. Um, I didn't talk about it, but Peter was married. Mm-hmm. So the fact that the foundation of the Catholic Church, they say you can't be married. It's an interesting precedent yeah. because we know Peter was married. So anyway, that's, yeah, but that's when my they, brain went. So. Yeah, but when they go back to that, because I asked that question, and I was like, well, where, first of all, where does it say that he was the Pope, right? And I was like, well, no, he was the, the father or, or the father, the first father of the church. And then they go to Acts when they, they come in and Paul, uh, Paul <laughs> comes in and is like, hey, bro. Yeah. Nah, bro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we need to talk, yeah. right? So, but they're like, oh, here. And then it would be followed up by James, and it would, right? Because yep. um, uh, it just goes in succession. Because I had asked, is like, oh, because later on, when Paul comes back around, Peter's nowhere to be found. It was like, where's Peter at? And James is now the head of the church. Yeah. Right? So, but it, it, when we go into more studies, but that's what, that's all, that's what I'm saying. We could have spent a lot more time on these evidences, not just on the outside world, but our inside of the walls as well to be like, oh, how can we believe? How does this all line up? But it is part of my evangelism uh, course, because I'm sure you saw the survey. It talked about which version would you right. recommend? Yeah. There's specific reasons I put that on there. So, and we'll talk about the KJV and we'll talk about the ESV and all those other ones as well. So, um, I won't extend the podcast. So we won't do three hours. We'll just do two. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you guys. I know you got a life. Yeah. <laughs> so, but other than that, man, yeah, definitely, definitely one of those things that. I'm super appreciative for for you to have such a passion for apologetics and to bless this uh to pass your blessing on to us and being able to to learn this stuff so thank thank you so much and uh greatly appreciate you for being part of this ministry man yeah likewise bro i appreciate everybody participating this summer you know we started the summer asking if this would be you know worthwhile and you know they the you know, it all definitely showed me that they meant what they said. So, yes, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Would you pray us up? Yeah. Almighty God, we thank you for today. Thank you for just all that you've done. Thank you for this time that we've had this summer to to see why we can trust you. We can see the evidence for what the Bible says. That help us remember that our faith isn't in Scripture. Our faith is in you. Help us to know that you are what transforms us, that you are what forgives us. And it's not the Bible. The Bible tells us about you, but it is not you. Pray that we would always look to you as the author and finisher of our faith, that we would seek you first in your kingdom. Lord, I thank you for this class. Thank you for these young men and women, their courage to, to seek you, to strengthen each other and to boldly walk into this dark world. Father, I pray that you would bless my brother, Jeff Anthony. Thank you for partnership in this ministry. Lord, we just thank you for all that you continue to do in our lives. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. 
This concludes this week's podcast. Just remember, when the world tries to get you to backslide, all you gotta say is...